today on Ag News Daily. We typically don't start to get supplies from them until June, this year maybe until July. So we, we would anticipate corn exports to be stronger than we would normally see. So whether that's a surprise or not, when you're dealing with a billion two Delaney versus, you know, two and a half or three billion like we have in years past. Good afternoon and happy Monday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. Happy Market Monday. We're having Sean Hackett on today who hasn't been on in quite some time, Delaney. Mm, yeah, I know for sure. The I remember having him on last year when we had the derecho. We had to reschedule with him because we lost power for a day and didn't end up having a podcast that Monday because I honestly didn't have cell phone service or internet access. So I feel like it's been quite some time. I think so. I think we have a good kind of Rolodex of people to have on for Market Monday, but we haven't had Sean on in a while and he gives some great insight and some great compliments to Delaney. So folks, be sure to keep tuning in for the rest of the episode before we get into that with Sean. But in the meantime, Delaney, we've got some news to talk about, although there really wasn't much in the headlines today. But I'm going to kick things off here talking about China to no surprise. But I am talking about avian flu today. China's Ag Ministry said earlier today that the highly pathogenic H5N6 avian flu had been found in wild birds in the northeastern province of Liaoning, marking the first confirmed cases of that strain in the country this year. Now, it's been quite some time since I've talked about avian flu, a couple of weeks at least, but there for a while I was talking about it quite a bit. But this is a different strain than I was talking about um, earlier this year, but there were 291 wild birds at the site of the outbreak and 11 were killed by the disease. The remaining 280 birds were culled as part of emergency response measures, but they're taking this case pretty seriously, I think, um, since this, this is the first confirmed cases of that strain, but just going to have to wait and see if these wild birds spread it to any other parts of the country. Yeah, and Ashton, I actually do have some African swine fever kind of related news, um, but we have seen Chinese pork prices slump to an a 19-month low, which of course is great for their domestic prices. They're able to buy pork a little bit cheaper. They're not so great when it comes to U.S. exports. And we're going to dig a little deeper into this with Sean Hackett later on. But like I said there, we saw prices slide to a 19-month low. So pre-African swine fever levels is what we're talking about here. And so the question remains, you know, we've been having some really high domestic U.S. hog herd or lean hog prices, but will that be enough? Will domestic consumption be enough to keep prices elevated at these levels? I don't want to give away the headline here, but Sean Hackett has his thoughts on that. Uh, but this is definitely going to be something that we're going to have to continue to watch here moving forward, because as we are continuing to see African swine fever um, deplete, uh, not deplete, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, diminish its presence, we are starting to see China pick up their production. Or so they say, you know, it's hard to believe exactly what China has and says, um, but that is kind of what 
indications are pointing to right now. However, I think the real story to keep an eye on is where we're sitting with U.S. exports and export sales to China. And so far, they've been continuing to be there on the pork side of things, as well as the beef side of things, Ashton. We saw U.S. meat exports Uh, they're continuing to move right along. And so far, we've seen China import about $124.1 million worth of U.S. beef here for the first two months of 2021, which is a thousand percent above the pace of shipments for this time compared to this time last year. So China's continuing to increase in imports, but I think it's likely that they are importing quite a bit of protein right now to rebuild their cold storage. And at some point, uh, we're probably going to see that come to a halt. So that could be an indication of where uh, commodity prices head from here. Well, Delaney, speaking of imports, some imports of certain specialty commodities or specialty crops are hurting some of our American producers. American cucumber and squash growers are currently asking the International Trade Commission to take action on unfair trade practices that are impacting markets. Now, we saw a similar situation with blueberries back in, I want to say March. I can't remember off the top of my head, Um, but kind of the same situation there um, with imports of Mexican blueberries kind of hurting those growers. But Fourth-generation Michigan farmer Fred Litz, who grows cucumbers, tomatoes, apples, and blueberries, said that consumers need to know where their products are being grown. And he told Brownfield Ag News that specialty crop growers continue to raise their voices as an increase of imports from Mexico during the domestic season threatens their livelihood. And he's glad to see that this issue is rising at the federal level. The International Trade Commission held a hearing on the impacts to cucumber and squash growers last Thursday, and they are continuing to accept comments until the 27th. So if you are a cucumber or squash grower or you have any kind of concern about this, I definitely suggest that you, you know, kind of voice your opinion because there's some issues that are going on there. I I mean, with these imports being during the domestic season, I can definitely see how this is going to threaten the livelihoods and the viability of these producers. So definitely a concern that I am keeping my eye out on. Well, I'm not sure this is necessarily warranted as a concern yet, Ashton, but, you know, we had the crop progress reports last week. We'll have them again this week later on here, which we'll talk about a little bit tomorrow. But as we're continuing to get into planting season, we're going to see a cold front here sweep across parts of the Midwest and Upper Plains. You know, here in central Iowa, we've definitely had a little bit of a cold front. It is windy, so it would definitely drive things out if we had any rain, but starting to see things cool off a bit again, which could push planting out just a little bit for folks. So we'll continue to keep an eye out on that. Um, We're going to have to see, Ashton, if we can find some folks to talk about planting in their part of the country. Uh, But so far, it does appear that cooler weather could point to some delayed harvest here for a little bit. Well, Delaney, unfortunately, I am all out of news for the day. What about you? I think I am as well, Ashton, other than talking about the markets here before we chat with Sean Hackett. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Well, 
We saw a bit of a sell-off here today in grain, which we'll discuss with Sean coming up in just a minute. The May corn contract down eight and a quarter cent today, close at 569. The Dece unchanged to close at 496 and a half. In soybeans today, the May contract shedding 21 cents to close at 1382. The November down 13 cents to close at 1250 and a quarter. Chicago wheat lower today as well as the May contract shed 10 and three quarters cents to close at 628. The July down nine and a quarter to close at 631 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at livestock today, there was some weakness there as well. April live cattle down 70 cents today to close at 122.72 and a half. The June down 47 and a half cents to close at 122.10. Feeder cattle mostly higher today as the May contract up 7 cents to close at 149.70. The August up 62 and a half cents to close at 160.57 and a half. And in lean hogs, mostly lower today as the May contract shed $1.97 to close at $140.40. The June down $2.80 to close at $106.15. And wrapping up our markets with the Class 3 dairy milk futures, May up $0.52 cents today to close at $19.90. The June up $0.48 cents to close at $19.93. Without further ado, Ashton, let's kick it over to our conversation with Sean Hackett. Well, for today's hashtag Market Monday episode, we are joined by Sean Hackett of Hackett Financial Advisors. Sean, thanks so much for coming on today and joining us. Thanks, Delaney. Always love being in your program. It's uh, been a bit of an exciting period for uh, for ag markets, and so I think it's going to be an interesting summer. So I certainly agree, especially as we're starting to see some indications, although it's still pretty early on in the growing season, that we could have uh, some trouble this year when it comes to weather. And we'll talk about that in a little bit here. But Sean, I want to talk about today specifically because we saw the grain market sell off pretty hard. What was going on? I think the market's absorbing the idea that the USDA said that the Brazilian uh, soybean crop is bigger than people thought and they're starting to move the product. And so that really doesn't give a lot of leeway as to why soybean prices are going to have a shortage globally while Brazil is shipping so much product. So I think that had something to do with Soybeans being down and for corn, you know, the weather looks dry. Um, you know, it looks like it's going to be warming up here after next week. And, you know, a lot of fast planting, rapid planting means we're probably going to get a couple of million acres back that we uh, lost here from the USDA report and the intentions report. And so I think the market's just searching for a reason why they should be buying the market right now when it looks like the near term picture is going to be a little bit bearish. So. A little bit bearish, but how long do you think that bearish sentiment will last? Typically, and we're expecting a drought cycle, Delaney. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we're anticipating that we're going to have a, a warm, dry pattern into July. And so typically, the market will start to worry about that as you get to the end of May and early June. They start worrying about it and start pricing maybe the possibility that this perfect ideal crop that we always seem to start off with, you know, maybe something less. So we have a runway uh, to the end of May before we might worry with U.S. weather. Of course, with Brazilian second crop corn, you know, they could start worrying about that probably by mid-May. And so I'd be looking, we'd be looking for that mid-May, late-May timeframe where the market may start to shift from bearish planting, everything looks good, to, you know, may, maybe, we're, you know, maybe we're going to have a crop problem and we only have a billion two carry out this year versus three. So. And I think it's, too early to tell what corn's price action is going to be until that time. But now we've seen corn trade neutral today. 
Do you anticipate that we're going to see corn be in some sideways trading action here until we get some sort of news from weather or South America? Yeah, I, I think I think it's going to be a two-side trade like it actually has been for a while, Delaney. I mean, we've really been kind of going back and forth um, with the market trying to find a reason to be overly bearish or bullish. But I, I don't see the reason for the market to break out of this trading range until it can get a clear sign on you know, the production potential in Brazil and here in the U.S. And as we just said, we're not really going to get much clarity or convincing clarity on that until at least mid-May. So, And Sean, I feel like we've been spending already a lot of time focusing on weather and the crop really isn't even in the ground yet. Uh, as far as export sales goes, how is that front coming along? Is there anything notable there? Well, so I mean, exports are, you know, off like they typically are this time of year. So I wouldn't say there's anything notable about that. Corn exports remain pretty strong, but remember, uh, you know, we planted the second crop corn in Brazil very late, um, and we typically don't start to get supplies from them until June. This year, maybe until July. So we, we would anticipate corn exports to be stronger than we would normally see. So whether that's a surprise or not, when you're dealing with a billion two Delaney versus you know, two and a half or three billion like we have in years past, there's, a, there's not a whole lot of margin of error to get this demand side picture wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, I want to talk wheat here for a moment. We saw wheat futures drop from a three-week high today in the Chicago contracts. This has been a pretty active contract too, you know, here over the past few weeks. So what's your outlook for wheat moving forward? Well, I mean, we kind of got the market excited last week when we had this broad frost in uh, in Europe, EU, especially in France. You know, they were expecting this bin buster wheat crop, and it looks like that they've had enough damage there that a top end crop is now you know not possible. Don't forget, stocks to usage in Europe on wheat is at twenty five year lows, so they really don't have any wiggle room to not have a perfect crop. And now we're throwing a so so we had that trade last week. So to me, today it looked more like profit-taking to me in winter wheat. That's what it looked like to me. For Minneapolis wheat, Delaney, as you know, we've been dealing with very, very dry North Dakota conditions. Some of the weather models and forecasting are saying we're going to get a little, some rain coming into this region. The, the real first material rains in a while. It doesn't look like to us it's a drought buster, but it's enough, once again, to take some profit-taking after a pretty good run here in Minneapolis wheat in the last couple of weeks. Okay, Sean, so I think we've laid the groundwork here nicely to talk a little bit more about weather because you indicated that your weather models are pointing to a drought pattern this year. Talk to us a little bit more about what that means for the commodity markets. Well, you know, once again, uh, we're dealing with a La Nina. I know a lot of weather forecasters are saying La Nina is, is ending and it's done, but people have to remember, La Nina just doesn't go away. There, it can be a big time lag of three or four months, even if it's true that it's gone, where you get La Nina-like conditions. And that means for the U.S., Delaney, hot and dry during the period of May, June, and July. And what that really means is that the corn markets specifically, it could be in the crosshairs of a really unfavorable uh, pollination phase from that you know late June to late July timeframe. And so if corn gets into some trouble, and we have a billion two carry out and it really blows its top off and we break out of this trading range we just talked about. Remember, KC wheat right now relative to corn is only maybe 20 cents off on the July contract. So they're going to feed a lot of wheat uh, to animals if the corn price were to take off 
even further. And, and, and that means if the corn crop goes or the corn market price goes, then the winter wheat market's going to go because it's going to be substituting the feed for corn. And, and, and so you feed into that. Of course, the soybean market will just follow along, Delaney. It just kind of tags along, even though we don't get into the critical August phase yet. There's no way the soybean market's going to just let corn and wheat go up without getting tagged along. But we do think it's going to be kind of a corn wheat centric market versus a soybean leading market like it's been since August. Yeah, and I'm even hearing from folks already, Sean, that they are starting to substitute a lot of wheat in place of corn for feed. So for those folks that are livestock producers, what are you recommending they do right now in the midst of this potential rally we could see driven by corn and wheat? How are you recommending they protect themselves from rising feed costs? Well, right now, Delaney, we, we, we had this big break in winter wheat, almost a dollar, as you know, uh, into last week. And then we've had this rally, but we're still well off the highs on KC wheat specifically. And the ratio, as we just said, between KC and corn is so we look back at a chart to the 1970s and there was really no example of KC wheat prices trading much below corn. So our view is if you want to protect corn prices, probably one of the better ways to do it is to buy KC wheat, you know, you know, as, as, a, as a hedge against a higher corn price, because if corn goes higher, KC wheat's going to go higher. And if KC wheat gets into some weather problems with some hot, dry weather in May, you could actually see the KC wheat market outperform. So we think, you know, kind of hedging your corn feed needs through the KC wheat market could be a really good way to synthetically protect your corn feed needs. Sean, I was just reading some commentary earlier today about China and uh, their continued battle with African swine fever, but I saw that they've hit now a 19-month low in their domestic pork prices. And I think that poses the question, this is one I've been debating in my head a lot, and I'm interested to hear your take, you know, because as you look at domestic cold storage and domestic prices, we've been continuing to push the envelope, but with Chinese prices hitting some really low levels here, what's going to happen from an export stance? And if we don't see China come to the table as frequently, what do you anticipate happening to prices? Is, is domestic consumption and in, in need going to be enough to keep prices elevated at these levels? The answer is no. Our, we've become really, really concerned and we've turned really bearish on the U.S. lean hog price. We've had this huge spike trade, as you know, Delaney, on this restocking of the U.S. you know pork supplies as the U.S. reopens on vaccinations. But we've also noticed that China has greatly reduced their imports of U.S. pork. And given, as you said, the lower prices over there that that are continue to be there, um, you know, we don't see them coming back the way they were last year. And of course, these higher prices doesn't take long to get that. The hog supply to react and respond later in the year. And so we're really thinking that once we're done kind of filling up those freezers in the restaurants and getting that uh, grilling demand supply, you know, tidied up here, you know, we could be looking for a pretty significant fall off. And so we've recommending or we have been recommending that hog producers here in the U.S. really aggressively cash sale the crop into the fall. We're really concerned that these prices won't last and they're some of the best prices we've seen in a very, very long time. I guess you'd have to go back to the disease problems we had in 13, 14, the last time we saw it. So this is a great opportunity for U.S. hog producers to lock in a really profitable price. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any hog producers are going to be complaining about prices at these levels. That's for sure. 
Without a doubt. And, 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 you know, once I always say, you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth too long or else it'll, <laughs> it'll be taken away. So it's there. It's happening. Today's reversal. You never know, you know, was this the top today? It, it, one of these reversals will be, but, I, but I'd be worried that one of these reversals is just going to be a hard down and, and these prices are going to go very, you know, are going to leave us very quickly here. So. And is it the same scenario when you look at the cattle complex? Are we looking at gift horse in the mouth here as well? Less of a gift horse, not as much, because we don't really rely on exports for cattle to the rest of the world or the Chinese. I mean, we do export beef, but it's really a domestic-oriented market, and it's 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 much more what I call a closed-loop market. So we're not as concerned about an oversupply here in the cattle market. We think we can have a seasonal high here, you know, by end of month, early uh, May, but we don't think the downside is as severe, uh, Delaney, as we think it's in the hog market. So we do think. You know, cattle producers need to be looking to hedge that 125, you know, 130 area on the June contract. We think cash sales there look pretty good if we can get to those levels. But but we don't we're not expecting the same kind of uh, draconian fall off that we might be looking at the hog price. We think it's going to be a little tougher to move down too much. We think supply is going to be a little a little tougher going forward than than in the hog market here. So. Fantastic. Well, Sean, before I let you go, how can folks find more of your commentary or your insight? Um, Delaney, our website is at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We have all kinds of interviews and sample reports for people to take a look at to see if how we look at things, you know, might be of value to your listeners. Fantastic. Well, Sean, thanks for coming on today and chatting markets with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Delaney. Thank, and thank you for all you do for, for U.S. Uh, ag. You know, we need, a, they, they need every bit of good advice and you are a, a fresh voice, um, you know, for us ag. And I really appreciate all your efforts for doing that. All right. Well, again, a big thank you there to Sean for chatting markets with us today. Always great to have him on the podcast and we'll continue having great discussions later on this week, folks. So do be sure to tune back in with us for upcoming conversations we'll be having this week. Absolutely, Delaney. And folks can do that at globalagnetwork.com. And they can also follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.